Turn to uh, Ephesians, if you would, chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And just uh, remain standing for a moment as I read. I'm going to read the first uh, um, 14 verses of Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will." to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. You may be seated. So I have been reading verses 1 through 14 because it's one long sentence. And so we just want to get the context, right, and understand what we're being taught here in Ephesians. And we've been looking at Ephesians together over the last couple of months when I've had opportunity on the Lord's Day to be in the pulpit. And we've gotten through verse 6, and we've learned that the theme of the epistle is God, Christ, and his church. And we've noted how some have referred to Ephesians as the believer's bank, the Christian's checkbook, right? The treasure house of the Bible, rich, rich doctrine. One man said this, in this epistle, the Apostle Paul marvels at the glory, the mystery, and the riches of God's plan of redemption in Christ. In verse 1, we considered to whom Paul addressed his letter. These are the messages that we preached to this point. He addresses his letter to the saints, the holy ones, hagios, the connected to God in holiness and the faithful in Christ Jesus. And we talked about what the Apostle Paul meant by using those terms as he addressed his readers and how the scripture defines the term saints 
and holy and faithful in Christ. Then we continued on to verse 3 where we learned how God is the blessed one. Remember that. In the Greek, blessed, adorable. God is the adored one. God is the adored one from all time and eternity. And with that single word, blessed, Paul calls the attention of his readers to the exclusivity, the uniqueness, the otherness of God. God is the adored one among the Godhead. God is the adored one among and above all the host of heaven. God is the adored one, the blessed one by all of his creation. God is blessed. He is adored. We also learned in verse 3 how Paul is worshiping God for Christ. How he is blessing God, adoring God for the Lord Jesus Christ. And blessing God, adoring God for blessing us. Verse 3, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That evoked praise from the apostle to bless and adore God for that. We went on to consider verse 4, where the Apostle Paul begins to list the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. So let's, let's review those. Verses 4 through 6. So God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. He chose us before the foundation of the world in Christ. He made us holy and blameless before him in Christ. He uh, placed his love upon us in Christ. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. He made known to us the kind intention of his will through Christ. He brought us into the praise of the glory of his grace in Christ. He freely bestowed on us all of these, his spiritual blessings in the beloved in Christ. And that brings us to verse 7, which we will be looking at this morning and, and where the spiritual blessing, blessings continue. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Father, we come before you as we look at your word, your word that has been once delivered, forever settled in heaven, never to change, not one dot, not one stroke of your word will ever change. Your promise is sure. God, open our eyes. Give us hearts to understand. Open our spiritual understanding. Open our ears to hear. May your Holy Spirit teach us this morning and change us forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here we go. In him, verse 7. 25 times in 23 verses, Paul refers to Christ. In 23 verses in this first chapter, he refers to Christ in him. And 58 times in those same 23 verses, he refers to, to God the Father, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. So you get a sense that he has a point in him. Paul's point, salvation belongs 
to the Lord. Salvation is of, is of God. Redemption is through the shed blood of Christ. In the shed blood of Christ alone. And forgiveness is according to the riches of his grace alone. This is all about God. It's always been about God. Not men. We are brought to God because God wanted it that way. It's interesting, just side note. If salvation is of the Lord, then why do we feel at times that we have to earn our salvation? You ever felt like that? You ever felt like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not doing it right. So Paul reminds us in him, in Christ, is our salvation accomplished. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. No other human, no other effort in Christ, Christ alone. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself, verse 6, as a ransom for all. The testimony given at the proper time. Salvation is in Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, don't for a moment pay attention to the lie that you can contribute to your salvation. We obey because we're saved. We live lives of holiness and righteousness and truth because we're saved. It's the work of Christ in us. 1 John 5, verse 11, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. That's pretty easy math. It's not hard to understand. In him, in Christ alone, very critical that we understand that. But what do we have in him? Redemption. We have redemption. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption. Well, what does Paul mean by redemption? Now, how are, how are his readers to understand that term? You know, what would be the context for why Paul is using the word redemption? What would be its significance? Why redemption? Why is, it that, why is that important? So an Old Testament example of redemption would be a kinsman redeemer. We've heard of that, right? Who could pay a ransom for a close relative who had been made a slave as a result of being captured or conquered by some other person or persons. The same was true for someone who was put into prison. They could be bought out of prison by a kinsman who paid the price of their release. So this is how the term is used in the Old Testament and how it's also used in the New Testament. In the New Testament, or the term is used for setting a slave free. Setting a slave free. A slave that could be bought out of slavery. Jesus uses a different term rather than redeem that we see here in Ephesians 1.7. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, this is what he says. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So the word ransom used here in Matthew 20, verse 28, is from the Greek lutron, meaning something to loose with, a redemption price. So figurative, I'm sorry, well, like atonement. Um, the price for redeeming, ransom paid for slaves, someone who is redeemed by the payment of a stipulated or set price. That's how that word is used in Matthew 20, 28. The word redemption used in Ephesians 1, 7 is from the Greek meaning the act of a ransom paid in full. So we have the price, the ransom, and now redemption, the payment. Right? Deliverance by a payment of a ransom, a releasing affected by a payment of ransom. Again, someone could only be redeemed by the payment of a stipulated or set price. So why redemption? Why is this important? Why do people need to be redeemed? Because of sin. Man is a slave of sin. At the fall, man lost his soul. He forfeited his life. Remember what God told Adam? In the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Did he drop dead physically? He lost his spiritual life. He became a slave of sin. That's why we need a redemption. People, all people, are slaves of sin and corruption because of Adam's sin. And therefore, all people need redemption. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. In verse 23 of Romans 3, for all have sinned, all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus said this in John chapter 8, verse 34, truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Well, that's 100% all humanity. And then Solomon wrote this in Proverbs 5, his own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. We're bound, bound in sin. Romans chapter 7, verse 14 for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. And Peter says this in 2 Peter 2, verse 18, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising, promising them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this is, he is enslaved. So we can all see very clearly from the verses I just read, our condition. We're slaves. Humans are slaves of sin. And we're unable to redeem ourselves 
Man can't pay the stipulated price. God set the price. Man can't pay it. The ransom price to gain his release from this slave market of sin. Psalm 49, verse 7 through 9 says this, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. We cannot pay the bill. You know, we sing, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. We washed it white as snow. Only he could pay it. Now maybe we can see a little more clearly why redemption is so precious to the believer. Paul puts it out there as a spiritual blessing. He lists redemption as one of our spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Christians love Christ. Christians dearly cherish their redemption bought by Christ. Christian's love for God grows moment by moment, day by day. Haven't you found that to be true in your Christian walk? And if not, ask God why. God, why don't I love you more? Do I understand what you've done? The Bible says that we've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Do I understand, oh God, what you have done? by placing your love upon me and paying the price for my redemption with the blood of your own son. Well, I think the Bible argues that believers grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And remember in Christ's prayer in John 17, that work he looked to the Father to accomplish, sanctify them. Father, in your truth, your word is truth. Christians understand that we have been redeemed by God, to God, for God. Our redemption is all about God. Now Paul tells his reader the price of their redemption. We've kind of talked about it already a little, but again, to redeem means to purchase and set free by paying a price. And some estimate that in Paul's day there in Rome, there were over six million slaves at that time. So slave trading was a big business in the Roman Empire. And a man could pay the set price for a slave and set him free. And that's what God did for us. Through the blood of his own son, the price was the blood of Jesus. So when Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood, it is vitally important that we understand, that we comprehend what God did to what extent he went to, to bring us to himself. And he did not shed the blood of his son to allow me to live my sinful life. He shed the blood of his son to bring me into eternal life, to walk in the light as he's in the light. We must stop and think and consider the high price that was paid for our redemption, because I would argue the more we understand the price paid, 
And we understand that God brought us to himself and what he delivered us from, we love him. We, we love Christ. We love God for what he's done when we understand that transaction. So when we're told in the scriptures of the requirement of a blood sacrifice, what we're being told is what God required for the price of redemption. God alone stipulated the price. He set the price for our redemption. And he alone determined the price that was to be paid, and the price was the blood of his own son. And what's amazing, that was all decided before he created anything. The decree went forth from God. This was way ahead of Adam's fall. God knew he would give his only son. Christ knew he would condescend and come to earth. The Holy Spirit knew that the same power that he was going to raise Jesus from the dead from or with would be afforded to us. This was all predetermined. That's glorious. Our life is not our own. Glorious. Turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to pick it up in verse 11. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Yeah, think about that. Is your salvation eternal? Can you lose it? It's secured. Christ paid the price. And eternal means eternal, like forever. We're eternally saved. Eternally saved. We cannot lose our salvation. Question is, are you saved? Question is, do you walk in the light as he is in the light? That's the question. We all sin. There's no, you know, we all sin. John was careful to write, I write these things, first John, that you sin not, that you don't sin. But when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ the righteous. Our, our, it's an eternal redemption. Look at verse 15 of Romans of Hebrews 9. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise. This is the NASB I'm reading from. The promise of the eternal inheritance. This is an amazing verse. It explains the reason for the shed blood of the Son of God. He established the new covenant. The new covenant. We had the old covenant of the law is gone or been 
you know, superseded with the new covenant. So we see the reason that the blood of Christ was shed for his people, the new covenant. It's established. Without the shedding of blood, it wouldn't be established. And through his blood, Christ established the new covenant in order that those who have been called, this is interesting, may receive the promise. The covenant, the covenant of God is for the called, the elect, the chosen, specific. So who knows who the chosen are? Brothers and sisters, that is the business of heaven. Our business is the gospel. We preach and proclaim indiscriminately because we don't know who the chosen are, but God does. And who knows when we're proclaiming the gospel if someone won't bow down and believe, repent actually, and, and believe and be saved. But the point we're making this morning Christ established the new covenant for the called so that they might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Is that a spiritual blessing? I mean, any amens on that one? Amen. amen. Um, through his blood. All the first covenant sacrifices of bulls and goats were only a shadow, copies of the true sacrifice of God, which was accomplished only in Christ. Look at verse 23 of Hebrews 9. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of these things, of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 1, for the law, since it has only a shadow of good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw, draw near. And then verse 4 of Hebrews 10, it is impossible. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. We're going to read First Peter here, but... We sang the song, The Precious Blood. How precious is the blood if no other blood can take away your sin? Or silver, or gold, or good works, or who you know, your accomplishments, none of it. Only the blood of Christ can take away your sin. How, how precious is the blood? We love Christ for dying on the cross for our sins. 1 Peter 1, Peter gets it. Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Precious blood of Christ. So that's the price of our redemption. A couple more verses with that. Let's read. Guard to that. In Revelation 1, verse 5, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. We've been released, freed from our sin. We still sin, but 
If you're saved here this morning, if you're a Christian here this morning, you are not a slave to sin. You have the opportunity, well, the option in Christ to say no. No. You can say no to yourself by your own power and your own determination and no. By the spirit of the living God through the blood of Christ. That's how we put the old man to, to death. We tell him no. And yes. No and yes. It has to be no and yes. It can't just be no. But a yes to Christ is a no to the flesh. Conversely, a yes to the flesh is no to Christ. And if that's your practice, the Bible has a lot to say about practice. Those who practice these things are of their father, the devil. But we, practicing life, walking in the light, saying no to the flesh, living for Christ, prove that we are of our father, God, and of the nature of God. We'll talk more about that. So he's released us from our sins. Chapter 5 of Revelation, verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And let me tell you, with all the confusion that's going on in our society, here is our social understanding. There's one common denominator for all humans. Every one of us have been made in the image of God. Every one of us. There's another common denominator for every human. Any guesses? Sin. Sin's the great equalizer. But it doesn't matter what we think about each other. God rescued for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, kindred and nation for his glory, for his enjoyment, his pleasure. And it's just wonderful. God loves diversity. He loves dimension. I read this wonderful little book by a man. His name is Christopher Love. It was written in the 1600s. And I think the title of it is Growth, uh, Truth, Growth in Different Degrees. And his point, the premise of the book is that God is glorified in dimension and in diversity. So over on the coast of California, Northern Cal, I used to love to ride over there and go through the Redwood Forest. I don't know if you guys have been through the Redwood Forest. It's very lush. And we would kind of hike through the forest at times, 300-foot redwoods and three-foot ferns, all sharing the same soil, same air, same moisture, same conditions. Wouldn't it be absurd for the 300-foot redwood to look down at the three-foot fern and say, grow up, right? By design, the fern is a fern. By design, the tree is a tree. God does his work. So, I'll say about that, but God is has saved for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, kindred, and nation. 
for his glory, his purpose, and his pleasure. But the point of the verse is that he did that with his own blood. Again, staying with that notion of the price of our redemption, the blood. One other verse, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. So Paul calls the Ephesian elders to himself. He's getting ready to leave the region. He's going to sail off in a boat. And they all meet him there on the beach at Miletus. And these men who are elders, shepherds, overseers, leaders in the church. Paul pleads with them, be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. They were elders because the Holy Spirit called them and commissioned them, gifted them, equipped them, and place them. The Holy Spirit did that. But Paul reminds these men. He purchased the flock with his own blood. They're not yours. The church doesn't belong to the elders. The church doesn't belong to the congregation. Who does the church belong to? Christ. Why? Because he shed his blood and purchased her for himself. And having 50 years in the church, men, all men, myself at the head of the line, would do well to remember the church is his precious bride, not mine. And we see confusion and we see all kinds of crazy things going on in the church who, well, in assemblies where men have that confused. They think the church belongs to them. No, <laughs> and the day is coming when every elder, every leader, every shepherd, every pastor will stand before God and give an account for the sheep that they have shepherded for Christ. So vitally important. Oh, <laughs> the church has been purchased with the precious blood of Christ. And that leaders need to remember. So next, Paul tells his reader that the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood for our redemption in order that sin might be forgiven. What a glorious truth we're coming into now. The forgiveness of sin, the forgiveness of sin. Wow. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Forgiveness of our sin, no guilt, no shame, no condemnation, no keeping track of past sins. Only complete and utter forgiveness through the blood of Christ. Jesus said this in Matthew 26, verse 28, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sin. He poured out his blood so that we might be forgiven and not stand before God condemned. So do you believe that our God is a forgiving God? 
Do you believe that he has forgiven you completely? So let's listen to what the Bible says about that, because I'm going to guess many of us, if not all of us, have questioned. God, have you forgiven me? Am I forgiven? Do I stand? Before you forgiven? All we can do is look to the scripture, not our emotion. Feeling is a liar, but the word of God is settled forever. He's, um, Exodus 34, <clears throat> uh, verse 5. <clears throat> the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with Moses. Get the scene. As he called upon the name of the Lord, then the Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. but by no means will leave the guilty unpunished. Psalm 86, verse 5, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Listen to that kind of a dichotomy. I just said, but will by, I didn't say this, I quoted scripture, but will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. But he's ready to forgive. So what is that telling us? If we don't repent, there is zero forgiveness. The guilty will not be forgiven. But that does not need to be you or me. By God's grace, I can repent. By God's grace, I can confess. What does the Bible say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's what the Bible says. It may not be what your feeling says. Who cares? I mean, what not to be, I mean, feeling, we all have it, but... We stand on the promise of God. The truth has to be the truth. You're ready to forgive. Listen to these, these other verses. Psalm 103, 1 through 4. Bless, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your sin, who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. This is what the Bible says about God and his willingness to forgive. Isaiah 55, verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thought, and let him return to the Lord. And what happens when he does that? Listen to this. And he will have, God will have compassion on him. And to our God, 
for he will abundantly pardon. I'm, I'm sharing with you the heart of our God from his word. Micah says this in chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you? Who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob an unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. I love those references to eternity. This is all figured out from eternity past. Our God is forgiving. Our God is a God of love, love that is amazing and divine. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We have this message that we've been talking about as Christians. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So if we understand that this God that we know and love is not marking our sin. We have a message for the world. We need to let them know. We need to bring the gospel to a lost and dark and dying world. It's hopeful. It's hopeful and brings joy. Colossians 1 verse 13, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what Christ has done. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So finally, Paul tells his readers that all of this, this is all of grace, super abundant grace. Again, look at Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. All that Paul's been talking about to this point in verse 7. All we have in him, our redemption, his blood shed for us, forgiveness of our sin, all according to the riches of his grace. What is grace? You stop to think, what is grace? We know this, that grace is uh, getting what you do not deserve, right? Which mercy, on the, on the other hand, is not getting what you do deserve, which I would argue is also <laughs> grace. So how should we think of grace? I mean, what does the scripture teach us about God's grace? God's grace is salvation. Very familiar verse, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved, that not of yourselves. Galatians chapter 1, verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself 
for our sins so that, he, so that he might rescue us from the domain of darkness. Grace is salvation. Grace is a gift. It's, it's a gift. Being justified, Romans chapter 3, verse 24, as a gift by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Again, Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace is a gift. And it's a good gift. James says this in James chapter 1, every good thing given. And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Grace is a good gift from God. And James says there is no variation or change, no shifting shadow like we see here on earth. And someone, <laughs> you've seen the handshake where the guy puts his hand out and just as the person goes to shake it, he goes like this, right? None of that with God. He does not change. God's grace is free. So God's grace is salvation. God's grace is a gift, and it's free. God's grace is free. Look at verse 6 of Ephesians 1. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, right? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul emphasizes to his readers that God's grace is super abundant, super abundant for all that he gives to his people. We see there in verse 7, according to the riches. I, I it just is so um, encouraging to know that we're not going to exhaust the grace of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says this, the law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, verse 21 of Romans 5, as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life. Did you catch that in verse 21? Side note. Paul just said in Romans 5.21, just as sure and certain as death follows sin, so just as sure and certain life follows grace. We're all going to die. It is appointed unto man once to die. That's certain. So is life through the grace of God. In fact, Romans 5, verse 17 says this, for if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. This is that wonderful, glorious doctrine of federal headship. We have in Adam, all die. Adam is our federal head as humans. In Christ, all live. He's our head. We have life in him. 
those who belong to him. And so just as certain as death follows sin, life follows grace. And this is all according to the riches of his grace, which he heaps on us and pours on us. He, he showers his grace on us. Again, in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Verse 8, which he lavished on us. That's a rich word, lavish. I mean, he's just, we're just getting dumped on. The grace of God. The riches of God's grace are superabounding. And without measure, as is his generosity, which is also superabounding and without measure. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I love this, Psalm 36, verse 8. They drank their fill of the abundance of your house. Psalmist says, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Our God is gracious, merciful, loving. His grace knows no ends. First Timothy 1, verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. I really believe that the Apostle Paul, as these truths began to just take him, and he was given to these glorious doctrines and truths of Scripture, um, he realized God's amazing, abundant, never-ending grace, the apostle did. And he more than understood God's amazing, abundant, never-ending generosity. I'm thinking his thoughts went to some place like this. Look at Romans chapter 11, verse 33. I'll just read it to you. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. What a doxology. What a pronouncement of praise, understanding what God has done. May that be so in our lives. I love that he used this word unfathomable, which I can hardly say, but it's the idea that, well, it's a nautical term. And so um, it's a measurement that was is used by sailors in order to determine the depth of the water they're sailing in, right? So what is Paul saying? The ocean of God's grace has no bottom, cannot be measured, can't be plumbed, let alone exhausted.
God's grace, in light of all these grand and glorious truths, as we think about them here in Ephesians, my mind went over to what the Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, verse 1, a slave, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, right? Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, by what? His own glory and excellence. He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature through the promise of God, empowered by his own glory and excellence. Through his word, his promise, his covenant, we become partakers of the divine nature. We live like God. How do I know? 1 Peter 4, 6 and the ESV says, this is why the gospel was preached, even to you who are dead. Though judged in the flesh the way men are, we might live in the spirit the way God does. What riches. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for all we have in Christ. Lord, please help us to remember your word, to remember, Lord, that you have rescued our souls. Lord, that we are yours by your choice, that you have shed the blood of your own son in order to redeem us, buy us out of the slave market of sin, that we might live for you, live in the spirit the way you do, to worship God the way God worships God, to love God the way God loves God. Help us, Lord. Help us to live in the Spirit. May these things resonate with us the rest of our lives. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.